morning, ladies and gentlemen. On today's podcast, we've got physiotherapist Lindsay Bull in the studio to discuss some topics surrounding his experience with elite sporting teams and common injuries that he sees. Specifically, we'll be discussing hamstring strains that he sees amongst AFL players. Thanks for coming back in today, Lindsay. No worries, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So, mate, could we start off first with a little bit about the anatomy around the hamstring muscle? Sure. So uh, I guess the hamstring muscle, you can sort of divide up into into two components, the lateral component and the medial component. So the lateral component is our most common injury site, the biceps femoris muscle, which is a long head and a short head. And in the medial compartment, you've got your semimembranosus and your semitendinosus. And then you can probably also include your adductor magnus in there as well, which, which helps with hip extension too. So it essentially acts as probably slightly more of a hamstring than an adductor itself. But it, it it's, it's one to definitely keep in, in context because it's really important through rehabilitation. So our most common injury sites in the biceps femoris in the lateral compartment, it crosses both the hip and the knee. And we find that that's a, a significantly more common injury than the medial hamstring strain. In the AFL, we'll tend to budget, if you're averaging across squads, for six hamstring injuries per club per season in the men's competition. And that costs up to 19 or 20 games per season. So it's a significant sort of cost um, to a team per season when you think of how much a player might get paid to, to play a game yeah. um, and also has a really high relevance and importance in what we're doing in, with some preventative strategies to try and have those numbers a little bit lower because it, it's seen as one that we can have some sort of influence over as opposed to like a big contact injury where it's just going to be, you know, yeah. sometimes those things happen. So the demands are really high in Australian rules in particular, um, lots of high-speed running, especially under fatigue. So therefore that, that biceps femoris, the, the lateral hamstring really undergoes a lot of a lot of stress and uh, and a lot of work and, and can be injured quite, quite regularly. So is it more to do with the kicking or the running? Generally speaking, more the running. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> However, um, the, we definitely see more running injuries than stretch injuries. So you think with the kicking, you'd feel it more as a stretch mechanism or, or when a player gets tackled and sort of bent over mm. um, a little bit more significantly. So the hip goes into, into hyperflexion really and, and you get a, lot, a big, big stress on the hamstring. We see a lot more running-related hamstring injuries than stretch-related hamstring injuries, yeah. Right, okay. And when you do see a, a stretch versus a running um, hamstring strain, is there any difference in recovery timeframes or anything like that? So I get there's been a little bit of research around that where the prevalence of of I get or the prevalence of of stretch related injuries costs you a little bit more time in terms of severity. Uh, you have to be a little bit more careful with with recurrence in those. In my experience, I think I haven't necessarily seen that from a long term point of view, but the acute phase is often a lot quicker in a running type injury than a stretch injury. In a stretch injury early on you have to be pretty respectful of the time frames as yeah. to as to what amount of damage is there and where the damage is and i guess it's it is based on the mechanism but the more important thing in terms of how severe and how long a, an athlete will miss is based on the location and the anatomy okay so Generally speaking, your, your garden variety hamstring strain in the middle of your biceps femoris, in the middle of the muscle belly with really good um, blood supply and, and recuperation properties, I guess, um, that will cost us about three weeks, so yep. 21 days, give or take. And an injury that is either higher or lower, um, especially higher and or deeper into the tissue, so higher up towards the buttocks or deeper within the tissue that might involve some intramuscular tendon, Involvement, the the healing rate is a little bit slower, yep. and your recurrence rate is definitely higher. Okay, so Lindsay, 
Is there a particular way that you'll uh, grade the, the muscle strain? Yeah, there is. So it depends on a couple of, I guess, critical factors. It, it really depends on the athlete, the location of the pain, um, the the type of mechanism that's that's undergone as well. So generally speaking, it's, it's really, really important to get it accurately assessed by either a doctor or a physiotherapist to ascertain that grade. And, and the, there's two ways to do that. There's clinical testing, so testing of strength, of flexibility, of pain to touch and of the ability to function, and then also radiological um, grading as well. And you, at our level and the elite level, we, we often will get imaging, an MRI scan mm-hmm. specifically, um, just to marry up both the clinical findings and the and the and the findings radiographically. So, really interestingly, they don't always correlate. So you might get right. a strain that that isn't um, isn't too significant, but then you get an image and it's like, whoa, we didn't expect that. And sometimes you might get one where you think, oh yeah, there's there's a fair bit of pain there, a fair bit of restriction of function, and the actual um, image isn't too bad. So. They're really important to use in conjunction. The, what we don't do is go, here's a scan, you've got X amount of percentage of your cross-sectional area of the muscles damaged, therefore that equals three weeks or four yeah. weeks or six weeks. Mm-hmm. The big prognostic factor is whether there's some intramuscular tendon involvement and that is the, the deep tendon that lies throughout the whole muscle. And if so, the, the healing properties of that are, are significantly poorer than actual muscle tissue. Yeah. So you have to respect that. And for me, I kind of liken it for the physios that might listen to back in the day where you rehab an ankle sprain and then at six weeks it's just not better and it just keeps staying fat and it just keeps causing you issues and all of a sudden you've missed a high ankle sprain or a syndesmosis injury. I sort of liken a little bit to that and that there's a couple of key factors in the mechanism of how people present that might alert you to the fact there's a tendon involvement. and. If there is, you might not know for the first three weeks and then they return to play and go bang. Right. And they actually can do a lot of stuff up into a certain phase, but then at the really high level where the tendon has to hold its elastic properties, it fails. Well, for, for your guys at your level, does that mean then you'll get the initial MRI? Do you get another one before they return to play? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, we don't. You don't? Okay. We don't. Okay. Now, that's for a couple of reasons. There's some, there's some really nice um, research papers a few years ago um, suggesting that imaging doesn't predict return to play success right. or yep. timeframes. Okay. So, and we don't want to muck our thinking up too much with that. If... If our athletes have passed through the strict criteria that we set for them when yep. they're going to the next phase, we'll return them to play. Generally speaking, the function, the clinical side of it weighs more heavily for us right, than the okay. radiographical findings yeah. because we might get an image of someone's hip and we can see a hamstring strain there, but they've got no deficit in function yeah. or pain. We might look at... Um, we we often see it with quads. Actually, we often we get an image on a hamstring. Oh, they've got an interesting quad strain there. Any worries with your kicking or anything like that? No, no, everything's fine. Okay, yep, move right along. <laughs> so, y- you do need to be careful of the red herrings that will present yep. with radiology, and I'm sure that'll continue to improve. But the critical component is is whether there's just, or I say, just muscle damage, or whether there's tendon damage yep. as well. One of the factors that I've seen anecdotally, and I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't put my house on this, but one of the factors that seems to be quite common is is players that are running at high speed and they're like, oh, wow, I feel like someone corked me or I feel like I just got a knock there. And then it's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and their function might be okay to start with, but often that for me, we've had it in probably three or four different cases over the past couple of years since we've been looking for it. That's that's indicated 
an intramuscular tendon injury where we've had to be a lot more conservative with our timeframes and take, okay. a, take a bit longer with rehab. Yep. And if you had a, um, a patient present to a clinic and thinking that they might have strained their hamstring, w- would you be recommending that they uh, get a scan straight away or is, it, is there some special tests that the physio can perform to help guide that process? Yeah, I think so. I think you want to you assess clinically how they are first. Now, it probably also depends on the on the person, the level of sport they're returning to and, and the athlete and and how serious, I guess, they're taking it. Now, I think, and I haven't worked in private practice for a couple of years, but I think that if someone presented to me with, you know, your normal-ish presenting hamstring strains, mm. I wouldn't send them for an, for an image straight away. I, I'd be seeing them regularly over the first week and a half or so. And if anything didn't quite add up or progress as I'd expect, maybe then. Yeah. Um, or if they came in with a slightly different uh, report of what happened. So I didn't feel too much and I pushed off and bang, I felt a really sharp pain and I'm really restricted in in how much I can um, function. Yeah. Or I feel like someone need me in the back of the back of the thigh, which is a dead giveaway, I, I think. Um, and or if they were in a serious stretch type position. So like leg, knee locked out, leg extended, torso pushed over the top of the right. hip. Yeah. Okay. That they're probably the occasions that that I would do that. If you if it's somebody that you can take three to four weeks in returning to play and you've and you've got that bit of time up your sleeve initially before you go down that route, I would probably do that first because your imaging isn't isn't the be all and end all. And yep. it, you know, but if I had someone coming back that was like, I have to play in a grand final in yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to pay a couple hundred bucks out of pocket to know exactly what this is so we get this perfect to yep. play my grand final, which is really significant for me, then, then yeah, I probably would. Okay, great. And for an elite athlete, how long does it recover to – sorry, how long does it take to recover from a hamstring strain? And you, you touched on before – uh, about the three, four-week marks, but mm-hmm. I guess that depends on the severity of the strain. Yeah, definitely. So generally anything like a grade one or a two strain to the mid-belly of the biceps femoris will be around the 21-day mark for us. Now that's because we probably will need them to – we sort of work backwards from a, a, an aim, I guess, and until we don't hit the markers that let us go to that stage. So if they're playing in 21 days, they've got a full train at day 18 or 19, and then they've got to train as well, um, but not to the same extent at, at probably day 16, 15, 16. Yep. Um, so just after two weeks post-injury, they've got to be running probably at day two or three at a slow pace, comfortably pain-free. And then they've got to hit their different varying strength markers before they run fast. So we like them to to run fast, which is your biggest, um, I guess, indicative factor and your biggest risk factor for injury. So we like them to run fast at, at anywhere just before two weeks to just after. So they've got at least three or four bouts of, of running quickly under their belt before they return to play. And that's on someone who's been playing consistently. If they're yeah. coming back off a really interrupted time before that, we might pad that out by a week and have more high-speed running exposures to prepare them for that because yeah. we feel like that's probably the best exercise is actually just doing what you need to do, running fast and accelerating quickly to be protective of the hamstrings moving forward. So. Generally 21 days. Yep. If there's tendon involvement, that can be anywhere up to 10 to 12 weeks. Okay. So we won't run them fast until about the six-week mark where, where theoretically there's really good healing going on in that intramuscular tendon. It's got back its integrity. So when we start to expose them to, to high-speed running, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And then because they've missed six weeks of running fast, it'll take us another 
four-ish to get them back up to scratch, maybe including playing some some limited time in a reserves game or something like that. Okay. So picking picking back off that um, time, the time frame and return to sport, are there any sort of examples of tests that you might use as a clinician um, to determine whether someone is right to return after four weeks or after 10 to 12 weeks? Yeah, definitely. So th- there is some sort of, I guess, final tick-offs to play, but the more critical piece is probably the repeated tests throughout the whole rehabilitation. So you want to be, you know, early on you want to tick off running pain-free and then you want to tick off strength tests and contraction measures of the hamstring that are pain-free as well mm-hmm. and having good force. So so generally speaking, we'll want them to single leg bridge off our shoulder or like do a hip thrust, single leg off our shoulder uh, in a flex position, pain-free before we get them running. We'll also want them uh, being able to do a hamstring curl against resistance as well. But the tests, you know, are very closely spaced throughout the rehabilitation period. So we want them to do eccentric exercises, so muscle lengthening exercises, both at the knee and at the hip and both and both combined together prior to them running fast. And we want to get strength measures off a Nordic test or a Nord board or a, a fixed dynamometer in a hamstring curl before we get them running fast as well. And we're really fortunate in, in terms of we track all our players' hamstring injury or not in the, with those eccentric tests. So we've got baselines for however long they've been with us at regular intervals as to what their strength scores are and what their left, first, right imbalance may be mm-hmm. and try and obviously correct that. But what they may be over a longitudinal period of time so that we can reflect back on those as opposed to going, well, your right side can do this, so that's what your left side needs to get to. Because there's obviously a little detraining effect on both yeah. sides when you're not running fast as yeah. well. So it's important to have, if you can have historical data, great. If you can't and someone walks through your door and you're going to do a strength measure, can you get something straight away on that unaffected side before it gets a little bit detrained so yeah. you've got, you know, what that capacity was at its peak prior to um, prior to injury so that when you return to play, you're not just getting the deconditioned score of the other side and yeah. you've gone, oh, yeah, that's a tick. Yeah. You're actually getting what it was when it was withstanding the sport that you were playing. Yeah. Okay. So, Lindsay, is, are there any other things that you look for um, to decide whether someone will return to, to sport? Yeah, so obviously we've got strength markers, which we've which we've touched on, function markers, so making sure that they can kick, train, uh, recover well, and and then do everything they need to do pain-free to progress to the next stage. And probably the other one is, is running markers. So high-speed running, obviously being a risk factor we've touched on once or twice as well, is we're fortunate enough to have GPS trackers on our players so we can see how fast and how far they've run at those speeds. And we go back historically and, and look at, okay, well, they haven't actually hit what they would need to in a game. We want to prepare them for, I guess, Verticom's worst case scenario. So on average, they might run, you know, a couple of hundred metres above 25 kilometres per hour in a game. But their biggest ever game was 400 metres. So the, a game where they were running and running and running. So we need to know that, we've prepared them to tick that off prior to return to play as well so that we can be really comfortable in the fact that if they are put under those demands in a chaotic circumstance in in a game, then they've done that and ticked that box in a controlled environment with Mm -hmm. us prior to undergoing that. So there are running markers as well as, as those other markers to return to play. 
So it's really up to your physio working with the the person or individual in front of you and going, right, this is what you want to get back to. Yep. And then going backwards, what do we need? You'll need this uh, running demand. You'll need this strength demand, this flexibility demand, et cetera. Definitely. Yep. yep. Cool. And, and throughout the whole process, not just let's just get you to full train, then we're going to do all these tests, yep, tick to return to play. Because I think that if you're not doing it throughout those phases, you 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 put yourself at risk of failing earlier. Yeah. You put yourself at risk of failing the first time they sprint or failing the first time they join into training or failing in the first five minutes of a game. Yeah. And so, Lindsay, would you mind sharing some examples of a couple of exercises that you might give to some of the guys in the Suns, given that not everyone that we see in clinic will be at that level, um, but if you wouldn't mind sharing just a couple of examples? Yeah, definitely. So I think probably the way that, that we think of it at the Suns is that what are the what are the key actions of the hamstring? So it's to flex the knee and it's to extend the hip. So how do we replicate those in little bite-sized chunks and progress those throughout the rehabilitation? So really, really early on, we like to involve isometric exercises. So I'm talking the next day post-injury, we might do um, some really gentle sort of hip thrust or, or bridges and, and holds. We will definitely do some uh, core, core and glute exercises as well, and then really some really gentle um, hamstring curl isometrics as mm-hmm. well. Then you know maybe day two or three as they start to run, we'll get them generally going through range with with some gentle flicks and wobbles. Um, so bending the hamstring and straightening the hamstring alternately with the other leg. Oh, sorry, bending and straightening the knee alternately with the other leg. Um, hip thrusts or, or single leg bridges, double leg Romanian deadlifts into single leg RDLs or, or arabesques. And then once they've got a really good functional base of, of going both through the concentric and eccentric phase, we'll have a, a, an eccentric focus both over the knee, knee and the hip. So we'll get them either on the, the Roman chair or the glute ham machine and, and going down into, uh, I guess, hip flexion and then coming back into hip extension, single leg, double leg, adding rotations, taking them away, adding a real good variety of, of exercises right through range and through different rotations. Um, so that will be one of our key ones over the hip alongside RDLs. And then over the knee, we'll, we'll do um, like a hamstring curl, two legs up, one leg down, a mm. real concentrated eccentric phase. And once again, work on different biases of rotation through that, as well as a Nordic hamstring exercise, which is one that, that's got a fair bit of attention and as a, as a really strong preventative component of a program. And we, we utilize that as well, but as part of a really widespread eccentric focused program I guess Um, we'll also utilise a lot of uh, lateral hip stability and a lot of core stability in terms of our rehab process Uh, we'll focus a little bit on flexibility as well of both the the lower back and, and the neural system and the hamstring itself and making sure that all the all the helpers out uh, are doing quite well. So the agonist, so that, the calf uh, in particular, making sure that that functions really strongly as well and, and using that as part of the kinetic chain to to resume those high levels of activity. So there are, I guess, a few specifics and a few generals um, that we use, but we try and make it very varied using slow and fast uh, exercises, different isometric holds through range yep. and providing a heap of different coaching challenges and, and plyometric variations as well yep. throughout the process. And just to clarify, when you're talking about isometric, eccentric and concentric, that's talking about the type of muscle contraction, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yes, sorry. And that, that's that's talking about the type of contraction through the different exercises. Yep. So, um, yeah, so generally speaking, we'll try and get that in very, very early in the process. Okay, cool. And if 
obviously with the guys that you see, they've got access to really high quality facilities. But if someone does strain their hamstring, do they need a gym? Yes, they do. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, look, they, they need to have some ability to um, to at least replicate some of those exercises that yeah. they would do in the gym. Now, they, they might just need a kettlebell to do an, an arabesque, for example. Okay. Um, they might need uh, something to just – or a partner to stabilise their heels to do a, a, a Nordic – Yep. And they might need an elastic bit of elastic tubing to do a hamstring curl effectively right. or a weight cuff. Um, it's difficult to do it really comprehensively without without a good gym. But mm-hmm. most most physio practices, if someone's attending a physio practice, they'll have the critical pieces of, of equipment to do that. But you do need to have a really strong strength focus and then marry that in both appropriately with time frames and content in terms of your running at the same time. Okay. And uh, finally, would there be three key take-home messages um, for our audience that they could do to reduce the risk of uh, a hamstring strain? Yeah, so to reduce the risk, I would say run if you if you you're most at risk when you're running fast in your sport. So run fast and run regularly. That's going to be your best protective component. Run fast, run regularly. So that would be number one. Number two is if you're coming back from an off-season or a period of timeout with something else, a shoulder injury, for example, or or anything like that, gradually build up those high-risk activities, so training and running fast. Gradually build that. Don't try and be a hero off no base because that will be we trying to go all or nothing. You, you, we all see the Masters touch players who just drink grog in the in the off-season and they go and play that with their mates yeah. in the off-season. They have the most horrendous hamstring injuries you've ever seen off the bone and all sorts and and they're just trying to relive former glories without <laughs> when going and sprinting full ball without without doing any preparatory work. So, so gradually build to what your demands are going yeah. to be. And... With the and, and staying nice and strong, so be consistent in your hamstring strengthening with whatever exercises you choose, but be varied in the content. So go over the hip and go over the knee and, and vary what you do, but be consistent in what you do as well. Okay, fantastic. Mate, um, thank you very much for coming in today. It was nice to, to get a bit of insight as to what an elite sports team physiotherapist does and um, I'm sure the audience got a lot of value of everything that you explained about ACLs for the last episode and uh, hamstring strains today. So thanks, mate. No worries, Andrew. That was, uh, that was really good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So guys, be sure to leave us a rating and review if you like the show. 